reminder to subscribe on YouTube, basically related podcasts, or leave us a review on Spotify or Apple. Um, also, basicallyrelated.com, we now have uh, an extra episode a week uh, with bonus content. Uh, you guys can ask questions, we'll answer questions, we'll talk more about the topics that we're discussing each week. Um, and that's for members only, so you can go to basicallyrelated.com and sign up there. Appreciate it. So, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, we've been gone for a few weeks now, uh, so it's good to be back. Uh, a lot of ha- has happened over the past few weeks. Um, one is that Lee is no longer basically related, but by law, he's now related. <laughs> by, law. <laughs> by law. By law. <laughs> and sacrament. And so uh, Lee married uh, our sister um, over, the, over the break. A few other things. Christmas, New Year, Lee's birthday, too. Yeah. It's a lot about Lee today. Jeez. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But on a, on a little bit more somber note, too, um, uh, Ratzinger, um, Pope Benedict XVI, passed away as well. And so this episode, we want to talk about his impact um, on our lives, uh, really uh, how he has shaped some of our thoughts and conversations mm-hmm. um, in his writings and the way he lived, too. Um, but before we get into that, um, do you guys have any comments on what happened over the uh, over our break, especially me with your wedding? <laughs> <laughs> wedding was lit. Yeah, it was, that was a big day. It I was a big say. day. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was a nice day. Nice it, wedding. It was. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. You were you there. Celebrated you celebrated it. Yeah, you were there. I, I think it was there. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. right. I yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Father saying it was a great wedding. Yeah, yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. Whoever celebrated that mass. Yeah, yeah. Right. That that homily was amazing. <laughs> it was. It was a good homily, actually. Um, you know, a lot of people say that your wedding day kind of goes by in a flash, and it, it kind of did. But I I remembered a lot of it because I tried to make sure that. Um, I took in as much as possible, yeah. Um, particularly during the mass, because I think it was easy to just get caught up in the moment and think about a million other things. But I really tried to pray throughout mm-hmm. the mass. Um, you know, on one hand, as though it was any other mass, you know, to uh, join my my prayers with yours, but also to pray for you know my future Sarah families mm-hmm. and and, every, and everybody who was there. Um, but it was it was a, a very very beautiful day. Um, and I really couldn't have asked for anything more. I thought the music was was nice. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the mass itself, uh, as Matthew said, the, the lit party afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was good. Um, yeah, yeah. I was in one of our favorite spots in in, in the city. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm looking forward to the the future of marriage. Yeah, it's been off to a good first two. Weeks. That's good. Yeah. 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 Well, I tell I keep telling Sarah this this week of like we really got you know, we really want to be off to a good start. Let's try to get our habits down now. (laughs) Otherwise you know, things will Yeah, we we wanna start off well. Yeah, yeah. That's one thing. One thing I um noticed that you just brought up um is that you and Sarah were very prayerful at the at the mass. And that's something I noticed with um Elisa, our other sister, and her husband Alex, too. Um both of you both couples had this um, sense of peace and prayer, prayerfulness um, during the mass, which I think is really important because that's the most important part, <laughs> obviously, mm-hmm. of the day. But uh, you know, I've I've said a few weddings as a priest now, um, and there could be a tendency where the couples just get very nervous. You can yeah. tell that like they're wondering like, okay, what do we do? And you know, what's the next step? Um, 
but to be able to put yourself in that moment of like the sacrament, right? The mass. Yeah. Right. Very important. And it was, I was really happy to see that. So, right. Yeah. Like I said, because you can get so kind of caught up in the, wow, I'm getting married and, and the yeah. nerves of that. Um, but in a sense, it's like it's over, though. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, stop like thinking about, oh, my gosh, I'm getting married. It's like it's kind of done. Yeah. yeah. So why don't you focus more yeah. on prayer um, and saying the right name, you know? Yes. If, you have, if you have any, you know, if there are any friends, listeners, you know, like Ross saying the, mm-hmm. the, the wrong name at the wedding yeah. um, <laughs> and saying the right words, make sure it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You don't yes, get that right. word mixed up. Right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was a beautiful day. Very symbolic. Got to get used to wearing a ring. Yeah. Um, I've only forgotten it once. I was grocery, but luckily Sarah was there. I was, okay. I was grocery shopping. <laughs> She's her, like, uh, did you forget this? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, she did. She said that. <laughs> um but then, you know, now it's, you know, uh, she was shopping with a man. She had her rings on, mm-hmm. but she was shop- shopping with a man who didn't have her rings on. <laughs> right. So yeah. kinda, scandal. Public kinda scandal. Make, yeah, it kind of makes you wonder, <laughs> yeah. you know, what's, what's going on. That's funny. And then you guys went to um, Key Largo for your yes. honeymoon. Yeah. With the, um, the, the pictures first. looked pretty awesome. Very tropical. It was. It was very <laughs> so, nice. You know, yeah. it was basically, uh, you know, we did everything we wanted to do, which was, uh, just relax. <laughs> yeah. You know, there wasn't a whole lot uh, planned. Uh, we we went out on uh, Sunset Cruise once. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I, some people, they do like the snorkeling mm-hmm. and the scuba diving. Yeah, yeah. But we, we didn't do that. I just wanted to kind of eat out. and drink and relax. Yeah. So. Hey, no, that's, that's my kind of... I'm but a, I, I was also, yeah. you know, I was very excited to get back mm-hmm. as well. We were talking about that towards the end of the trip, that... The, you know, the honeymoon, that's great, um, and I'm glad that we went, but that's not reality. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's not what your marriage is going to be, Sure, is yeah. uh, yep. staying in the bungalows in Key Largo. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's not, that's not uh, the entirety of your marriage. So I was happy to get back here, though, to see you guys again, get started the podcast again, mm-hmm. uh, get back to our friends and family, get back yeah, yeah. to reality. Yeah, well, Key Largo is great, but I really want a podcast again. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of miss the podcast, <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah. be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, actually, that, that is true. It's, it's, it is good to be back, to have these discussions again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. I, um, I brought Edith Stein with me, just in case, one of her books that Matthew gave me for Christmas. Stay sharp, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. to yeah, kind of, yeah. you know, keep keep grounded uh-huh. you know, th- while you're here in this beautiful tropical area. Get yeah. nihilistic, but because <laughs> <laughs> all you're doing is kind of eating, right. drink, drinking, relaxing, so you need something to yeah. keep you grounded. No, but. that's that's good. That is good. Um, yeah, always good to come back, especially from a tropical tropical place, too. You know, forty degrees and raining in Charlotte. So that yeah, was, yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad you're back. Too. So that was great. Yeah, great. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, to con- to connect this to um, a more global event of the passing of Pope Benedict. You know, I don't think I would. There's a possibility that I would not have even been at that mass if it weren't for Pope Benedict. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a, a very big impact on uh, his his writings. Had a very big impact on my life. I didn't read him until my senior year in college for an introduction to theology class. But we read uh, Space Salve, Saved in Hope. And it, it, sounds, it, sounds, it sounds dramatic, but it really did change my life. Mm. It really changed the course of things for me. Because um, <clears throat> I, I, was, I was questioning a lot. Like I said, I probably lived my life mostly as like a soft nihilist, you know, <laughs> yeah. for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, recognizing that laws are necessary, but in the end it's kind of all absurd and arbitrary and meaningless. Um, 
flirted with a little bit of you know Gnostic dualism, mm-hmm. agnosticism, <laughs> yeah. um, sprinkling of hedonism on yeah, the exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> all this all of the philosophies, humanism, um, and then I had a a a teacher prior to my senior years who was looking back on it, a pretty hardcore Marxist mm. and socialist. And, you know, when you're young, socialism and communism are very idealistic. And yep. that's how he presented it. It was like, don't you want everyone to be taken care of? Don't mm-hmm. you want everyone to be well? And of course you do. Right. So I, I really latched on to those ideas, not re- kind of realizing that they have a deep uh, error to them about the nature of humans and the mm-hmm. nature of freedom and politics and everything like that. And what I found in Space Salve was an answer to all of them, mm. actually. All the things that I had been struggling with. Um, and everyone comes to faith differently, but for me, I needed to see the union of of reason and faith. Right. And he, he, ta- he tackles that. He tackles mm. materialism, faith and reason, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, freedom, the nature of humanity, uh, just everything. Yeah, and that really changed things for me. And I and I mean it. I don't know if I would be married mm-hmm. at a Catholic mass if it weren't for reading well, that book. Yeah, and that's what I I love about Benedict. And there was a theme. I was going as we were preparing for this podcast. I was going through some of my um, fam- favorite works of his. Um, introduction to Christianity, which we read, um, we read that was our first book that we read as a mm-hmm. as a group for our book club. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in that sense, Ratzinger holds a particular importance because he was, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, that first work that we read as a group. Um, uh, uh, his work on eschatology, space alpha as well. Um, but the theme that stuck out to me was his um, understanding of uh, the weight of death. Mm. Like it wasn't trivial for him. Uh, whereas I think there's a caricature within christianity that you know we, we don't understand the weight of death and like you know people could say like well, well don't cry you know he, he you know the person who died or your loved one is smiling down on you and right. as if like death doesn't really matter um but ratzinger really understood that um and the way he opens up space salva is is getting at the fundamental um point of christianity is that we believe in salvation mm-hmm. that we believe like from we we, we believe in a uh, a life after death um, and what that really means, um, you know, he, he mentions in eschatology um, that it's wrong to think that when like when death when death comes for anybody, it's just our bodies die and our spirits live on. But that's in a sense a little bit dualistic in the sense that the when the person when when someone dies, we don't say his body dies, right? We say he died. Um, you know, and, and he mentions that point specifically. He's like, our language reflects mm-hmm. the total annihilation that death brings. Right. It's we die. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not this sense of a, a trivial death, right, yeah. or passing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think to see, even say like, oh, he passed away is to trivialize the weight of death. But all this is to say is that um, even in the face of that, in, in the face of what he understood to be total annihilation, um, there is hope beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that he in, uh, opens up introduction to Christianity, talking about the abyss that lurks mm-hmm. beneath, and that we, we're like everyone is just looking for something to hold on to, um, while this abyss of death of nothingness, like is is like sucking us in. Um, it's a really powerful image, mm. but the fact that he opens up a book called Introduction to Christianity with this image of death right. shows how significant it is. 
and that's really the core of nihilism you know that mm-hmm. um like nothing matters because we're all, we're all gonna end up six feet underground eventually right. you know um so yeah that that's um I thought that just the way he framed that issue of death in specifically in going over those works, eschatology, introduction to Christianity and space solving, um, it was just really, like he, uh, you could tell he just understands the point. This is something that's really um, interesting about Benedict's thought too. I remember a professor in um, seminary, a Dominican, um, was talking about Ratzinger's um, brilliance. And he said that whenever Ratzinger was in a room discussing ideas with people, um, and if there was some dissension um, against his point, um, Ratzinger would take a moment and then reiterate the, his opponent's point mm. better than the opponent could actually lay it out. And people were shocked at how well he was able to frame like an opposing point of view. And then he would respond. That's really interesting. Um, and so his, just his ability to actually understand problems mm-hmm. um, was really unparalleled <laughs> with his right. interlocutors, yeah. which is yeah, really interesting. That so. sounds very scholastic, you know, that you take yeah. your opponent's position and ideally steel man them. Right. Mm-hmm. And then respond. respond. Instead of straw manning them. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 That's like really the essence of like what it means to be in dialogue with somebody. Mm-hmm. Of like really understanding their point before you just kind of cast it aside. You're trying to come to like a transcendent reality between both opinions. That's above right. both opinions. Right. And yeah. that's um that's uh his his love for Plato too. Um mm-hmm. and you know, Plato mostly wrote in dialogues. And so um, that sense of dialogue was something that um, Plato really, uh, I'm sorry, Ratzinger really appreciated. And I have a quote from, are we going to get into quotes now? I guess we can. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a newbie to all this. So like um, Intro to Christianity was the first book I read from Ratzinger. And that was, you know, whenever we started that. Yeah. Um, but it's, my journey has been different in just picking up on, things from the culture, like Peterson and Peugeot and Verveke, like all these conversations around what's happening now. Um, and then seeing seeing Ratzinger or rediscovering that Ratzinger is also in line with the kind of like platonic thought that's happening yeah. now has just been so refreshing. Because yes. most of the time I look to some Catholic literature and it's like very Thomistic. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, you know, it's good in itself, but mm-hmm. like it was not of the caliber of conversation that's happening outside in the culture with like Peterson and such. But to see Ratzinger, that he's been engaging in this conversation in this way for so long, it was yeah. just like so like refreshing to me yeah. to read. Yeah, and and in that sense, Ratzinger is a very important figure for our times now. Um, yeah, and his passing—it's funny because when he passed, I remember waking up that morning, um, and he, you know, he died at what ninety five? Yeah, I think yeah, ninety five, ninety six, or something. Um, his, you know, his his death was always imminent <laughs> for the past decade or so. Um, but I remember it struck me in a particular way because not only was he important to us um, in our in our thought and conversations, but to the world too. It feels like a, a, a like a like an era was passing away. You know, yeah. I felt like this with the Queen when she died. You know, mm-hmm. a little bit. It's like the old way of mm-hmm. doing things passed yeah. a little bit. But I think Ratzinger's legacy um, will endure way farther than yeah. you know his his. It's almost like mm-hmm. the like saying about um, like the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Yeah. It's kind of like with his passing, I feel like what his thought brought to this conversation is now going to be like deeper, yeah. infused. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and there's always, you know, in, in the wake of his passing, um, there's been a lot of commentaries on his legacy. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people um, just talking about like what he meant to them. 
And so we're a little bit late to the game, of course, <laughs> with that. Um, but, um, yeah, I think you're right that um, because now that he's gone, we can look back and say, well, what has he left us? Mm-hmm. You know, um, but anyway, so I think in that, and segues kind of nicely into the quote I had, um, I think the, the, um, the, his thought being pertinent to our times can be expressed a little bit in um, this quote. Uh, this is from Eschatology. Uh, he says, um, they show how untenable is that caricature of Platonism on which many current theological stereotypes depend. The real goal of Plato's philosophy is utterly misconceived when he is presented as an individualistic, dualistic thinker who negates what is earthly and advocates a flight into the beyond. Um, And this is something that I've noticed um, in my study at uh, seminary, is that there's um, this tendency for seminarians to discard Plato in favor of Aristotle. And they say, well, Plato, Plato is not really important. He's important to, to see how um, dualism works. Mm. But then what you really want to study is Aristotle, because Thomas takes from Aristotle, mm. and Thomas is where we get systematic theology, and we understand you know, dogma mm. better and blah, blah, blah. Um, but here Ratzinger is saying that that uh, caricature, uh, it, it, it utterly misconceives um, Plato's philosophy. Mm. And... I think the reason why, well, the reason why it's pertinent to us today is um, uh, you mentioned, Matt, that um, Peugeot t- um, talks about this time as the revenge of Plato. Yeah. Um, and so, which is really interesting. We can get into that mm-hmm. a little bit uh, later. But also, um, it shows as well how people don't really understand Plato. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think part of the reason why is because. Plato doesn't write in simplistic, straightforward treatises. Mm. You know, he's not laying out um, a system in the way that Thomas does or the mm. way that Aristotle mm-hmm. does. He's writing in dialogues, which is much more of an art form. Like a, it's it's or yeah, it can yeah. be considered mm-hmm. a, more of an art than a science, mm-hmm. <laughs> if yeah. you know to use those stark terms. Mm-hmm. And you know, as much as um, I think seminarians and priests or Catholics even want to pretend that we're not products of our modern era. We do think in modern terms. And right. I think we tend to value things that are very scientific, mm-hmm. very logical. And we don't know what to do really with dialogues, right? right? Or like, mm-hmm. you know, what does this mm-hmm. piece of literature have to do with my life, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like Ratzinger understood that. He's like, no, there's value here in the intuitive... Um, not necessarily purely logical way that Plato's laying out his philosophy. Right. Um, so that's, yeah, that's um, what I thought about. And uh, yeah, I don't know what you guys think about that, um, how, you know, the revenge of Plato, as Peugeot puts it, you know, mm-hmm. is coming out in our times. Um, you know, and, and, I don't, and as a disclaimer, I don't want to undermine the brilliance of Aristotle, of course. Sure. And, <laughs> and Tom, you know, yeah, Thomas yeah. was a master <clears throat> theologian, a master logician, you know, um, but that can't be it. And I think, I think that's part of it is that Plato's getting at a more holistic understanding of human experience. Yep. And that's what really like Ratzinger really can be. Um, you can summarize a lot of his thought in like just being purely human, mm-hmm. not purely logical, but human, you know, involving the yeah. soul mm-hmm. and the heart, not mm-hmm. just the mind. You know, so. Yeah. I think there, there can be a false antagonism between Aristotle and Plato. 
Right. Um, yeah. That yeah. they're both trying to get at the same thing, but for, through different ways. Mm-hmm. One, you know, Aristotle may maybe more analytical, um, and maybe a little bit more. Uh, I don't want to say commonsensical because that's not quite mm-hmm. it, it, but uh, it seems like you need to kind of observe the world and this is how it works. Whereas Plato is coming at it from more kind of an intuitive, like you're saying, poetic. He's very much concerned with you know the, the divine ideas mm-hmm. and such like that. Um, but I, I think there's a good argument to be made that you know when Aristotle talks about forms and when Plato talks about divine ideas, they could be getting at something very similar. Right. Right. So. I think now maybe the you said there's maybe a shift from so many years of Aristotle, especially in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, Thomism mm-hmm. was huge, kind of I think leading up to the Second Vatican Council. Yeah, uh, that now maybe there's a shift to 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 appreciate that you can come at truth in many different ways. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and, exactly. I mean, and I, I don't know about I don't know if I necessarily have an answer for like why Plato's becoming more popular or platonic ideas are becoming more popular broadly speaking mm-hmm. but certainly in the church i think maybe it's uh the tearing down of the the false antagonism yeah between the two right right that's a good way to put it yeah um yeah i i feel like part of it and this is uh, i have another quote <laughs> let's <laughs> I'm go sorry, I'm sorry, i don't have a whole library here i just have a couple books um but, but um uh Right, the, the the tearing down between the antagonism of Aristotle and Plato, that's a good way to put it. And I think um, that's what the East has been really focused on, is this symbolic way of thinking. Mm. You know, um, Peugeot, example number one, <laughs> um, versus more of a Western, analytical, scientific, logical way of thinking. And and Ratzinger mm. puts that in, uh, he, he says that in his Introduction to Christianity, makes that exact point. Which is very prophetic because this was published in the '60s, I believe. Right? It was the '60s. I believe so. Late, yeah. late, late '60s. So this, yeah. So he was. This is kind of a prophetic thought, but he talks about how he says the East had never developed a unified symbol. No, I'm sorry. Hold on. Let's see. This is why I should um, uh, highlight right. before. But um, <laughs> yeah, he says the East was always characterized by the variety variety of its symbols, um, and he says that. He says that we shall return later to discuss how today this enlarged perspective is at last beginning to gain currency in the in the Western consciousness as mm. well. Um, so essentially, he's saying that the East has always been comfortable with a symbolic mm-hmm. way of thinking, and the West is just beginning to pick up on the importance of that. Mm. And I think now is where we're seeing um, this, as Peugeot puts it, the revenge of Plato. Yeah, um, there's. I mean, there's like a whole conversation to be had about why, why now. Like, why does it seem like in the last 10 yeah. years or so this conversation is pertinent? Um, but it is it is interesting to think about, like, the kind of breakdown of narratives in postmodernism. You have, like, all the structures are, like, now broken down and scattered. Um, and it's, it's kind of like what uh, Peugeot was talking about when he was talking about the Spider-Man um, multiverse. Oh, the oh, multiverse yeah. What, phenomena. What the, yeah, yeah, Far From Home. Yeah. Was that the one? Um, where he's talking about how like you have multi-narratives of Spider-Man, but then from that, there emerges like a gestalt mm-hmm. of like Spider-Man archetype. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. it's almost like, just like culturally, we have this like postmodernism, your truth, your truth, your truth, your truth, no truth 
But then from the rubble, you start to build something like platonic form. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So now like the conversation around, like we don't have structures anymore of like very systematic rules. Like we still have that, but like in our subconscious minds, we've broken all of that down. Like you do you, you have your rules. There's no truth. And then you start to see inevitably a pattern between everybody's subjective truth and start to build on something more like cohesive. It's like, oh, well, your truth says that when you run into a brick wall, you get hurt. My subjective truth says when I run into a brick wall, I get hurt. Right. So there must be something true to that. But that's a gestalt. That's a like a now a platonic form of that reality. Right. And like now right. we're now we're as a culture more comfortable with this conversation because we all kind of are glimmering at that. Yeah. And that's what Peterson has essentially been doing with the Bible of like, this is not a top down, here are the rules. God came down to tell you the things. It's like from your subjective reality, this is the best way to live. Yeah. That everybody is finding out that is the right way to do this. Right. Right. That's a, that's a very good point. And that's, that is, uh, in a sense, yeah, platonic. Uh, as pl- like, maybe you can characterize it as um, experiential. Um, right. You know, because I think before the pandemic, um, you know, within the past few years, it's really been, it's, it's been like, you know, feelings versus truth, maybe. You know, and, and the Shapiro mm-hmm. um, you know, cliche, yeah, facts don't care about your feelings. But the fact is that we do have feelings. That's right? what Clavin um, says. He flips that and he goes like, facts don't care about your feelings, but feelings are facts. Right. And that yeah. is the platonic yeah. flip of like, now we mm-hmm. have to talk about that. Yeah. We have to talk about the reality of the subjective experience. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. And so that's maybe where this idea that, you know, there's a revenge of Plato um, that is coming in. Um, that, yes, facts are important. Yeah. Um, logic is important, but it's not just that, mm-hmm. right? It's, it can't just be that. Um, being human is, we're not calculators, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. Uh, we're, we're beings with hearts, <laughs> you know, as, as, yeah. as soft and fuzzy as that might sound. Um, right. uh, there's something to that. Um, you know, uh, I was watching one commentary um, about, about Ratzinger's passing, um, and they made the point that, you know, the Bible if that's the most true book that exists or a collection of writings that exist, um, you know, to, to, to be aware of how it's written and especially the gospels, right? Where, where, where Christ, God, the God man comes into the picture, mm-hmm. reveals man to man. It's not a series of treatises that is laid out, but it's a story, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's, it says something about our human condition that this is the way that God wishes, wish, wishes to reveal himself um, through, the, through the scriptures that are not just mathematical propositions or logical propositions. Um, it's, it's about interacting with us. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. There, there's a lot there um, with experiential reality, yeah. feelings, um, the subjective getting at the objective. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's very important. So. Yeah, I don't know if the, the whole project of of trying to make everything understandable or make things rational or um, the project of, of science to explain everything, at least uh, on the level of the church, uh, they, it, with the mass, you know, it was to, to make the mass more understandable, more accessible. But then you forget this other, this other side of human nature, you said. It's not just the analytical, the reasonable, and the rational, but also... The symbolic side, mm-hmm. this this side that's 
a bit shrouded in mystery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I wonder if people are now wanting that again, if they're right. kind of hungry more for the symbolic side of things as opposed mm-hmm. to everything in life can be explainable. Yeah. That's clearly yeah. not true. Right. But I, I wonder if that's the, yeah, the hunger right now. Yeah. Could be just like the, uh, just the result of the information age. Like we have so much oh, information, sure. social media. It's like after social media really comes out and reveals itself as something that can't actually replace human interaction, mm. then you really like want something like human interaction. Right. So it's like all this information, you realize like, oh, okay, so I have the information about the world and it's like material parts, but that I'm still not like fulfilled. Yeah. Now what? Right. Um, and it's not like these moments haven't happened before. This is not like a... Um, a moment that hasn't like seen its echoes in the past. Uh, like, yeah, like the romantic period, mm-hmm. that's kind of like a response to the enlightenment period and such. Mm-hmm. But right. so it's like, it's almost like uh, a moment comes into its like fruition at this, at this point. I, I, I give this weird, I was thinking about this while driving and I saw, I was at like a left turn signal and I, there was like multiple cars in front of me with their flashers on. And they all like flashing at different times. And then at one point they all like in sync. I was yeah, like, oh, yeah. that's what this moment is. Like right, this, yeah. it's like, you know, like you have people like Ratzinger talking about this in the sixties and whatever. It's like all the, but then and the Peterson even talking about this before he blew up. So you have thinkers and 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 cultural moments, but then something like COVID happens and you know what's happened, you know, twenty nineteen up to now, and it's like almost like all the blinkers moved at once. Yeah. And it was like, Whoa, what what is this? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just like one of those inflection point moments. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I mean, and we're just like touching, like in no way uh, am I a Ratzinger scholar or even a Plato scholar, <laughs> sure, um, yeah. but um, these are just some things that we've noticed in, in our discussions. Uh, I was introduced to this book, Introduction to Christianity, um, in seminary in our Introduction to Theology class, mm-hmm. and um, this was one of the first works that we read in that class, um, and our professor um, Father Joseph Mercy Murphy, God bless his soul. He's not dead yet, but <laughs> I was, I <laughs> but bless him anyway. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, great thinker. Um, he was my f- um, formation advisor as well. Um, but he uh, had us read a section from here um, on uh, faith, and I think this is a really um, this is a really important point to understand. Um, faith, obviously, being fundamental mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to our faith, no mm-hmm. pun intended, right? So, um, but he, he, Ratzinger pits faith against doubt. Mm. And he says that, um, he says, no one can lay God and his kingdom on the table before another man. Even the believer cannot do it for himself. But however strongly unbelief may feel justified, it cannot forget the eerie feeling induced by the words, yet perhaps it is true. Um, he says both the believer and the unbeliever share in his own way doubt and belief. And I'm like, this, this like unlocked a moment for me of like understanding faith and like temptations toward faith. Um, what does right. it mean to doubt? Mm-hmm. You know, um, in the face, this comes shortly after uh, that image of the abyss lurking um, beneath mm-hmm. us all. Um, like in the face of the reality of death, you know, is it natural to doubt if there is a life after death? Yep. Um, and it seems like Ratzinger is saying like, it, it is, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that, that sense of doubt 
is not something that should shake your faith, but make you cling to your faith all the more, right? Um, it's like faith is like understood by by a choice, right? Mm-hmm. That you say, I'm going to believe this despite my doubt. Whereas this is a very Catholic notion of faith. And and my professor um, uh, pit this idea against Paul Tillich. He was a Protestant um, mm. thinker uh, against the Protestant notion of faith. Um, you know, I think um, you can characterize Protestant a uh, Protestant understanding of faith as um, faith that has no doubt whatsoever. And if there is a sense of faith uh, of doubt in your faith, then you're not really having faith. Mm. Um, whereas Ratzinger's sense is a little bit more nuanced, um, and I think his more nuanced sense of faith is more human. Um, it's recognizing that, yeah, there is um, there is doubt, um, and doubt is a temptation. Right. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have any faith or mm-hmm. that you're not a believer. Mm. Um, so that was a that's what really spurred me to read the whole book and mm-hmm. for us to choose it for our group, um, yeah, our, our our book club. But so yeah, that was that was good. What else does he say? Yeah, there's um, there's different levels of of doubt too, right? You know, there's ones that kind of are on the surface that one can 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 live with you know you can kind of play with and and uh, kind of come and go mm-hmm. and then there's like the 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 um the doubt that kind of hits the core of your being yeah i yeah, feel right. it, and that becomes despair right sure right um you know that's that's I mean, that's one reason why I really liked his, 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 I think it's his second encyclical, right? Spit Salve mm-hmm. is his second one. Uh, because he, he touches on that hope that there are various levels of hope and, and there's various hopes that sustain us through our daily life. But then there's the one great hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I wonder if kind of on the flip side you have, there's various doubts and then yeah. there's the one great doubt right, that will destroy right, you. Right. But then there's obviously the one hope that we're all these little hopes aim towards something yeah bigger yeah right. um and even uh i wonder you know despair points towards some desire right because you're despairing that that desire will never happen right mm, right um yeah so you can despair and hope are related just as i think faith and doubt mm-hmm. seem mm. to be related yeah. they yeah. seem to almost point to each other yeah. and uh oscillate back and forth right throughout your life uh, right. On a nat, um, is, like I said, so I, I think as long as it doesn't hit that core of your being, mm-hmm. where right. you lose all hope, it's, it's very it's much fine. like a relationship right. in that, like yeah. I, I, I can't say with a hundred percent certainty that my marriage isn't going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. But there's like there's elements of doubt that would be greater existentially yeah. for me right. if like something happened or um, I started noticing patterns like this is really affecting me. But there's always the the top level of like I I truly don't know somebody one hundred percent. And so I'm always going to live in a type of faith mm-hmm. that this will continue yeah. based on what I'm seeing. Right. But it's never assured. It's never systematically calculated. Yeah. There's always a faith element. Yeah. Um, so you have like different tiers of like, do you, are you doubting your marriage? It's like, well, you know, on the, on the smallest surface, always, and you live in faith. Yeah. But it's not hitting me that deep. Yes. Right. No, no, right. that's exactly. a good point. And, and as it relates to our faith um, in God, the more you know him and develop a relationship with him, the stronger right. your faith is going to be. Right. Just like any person, right, right. Um, it is relational. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's it's it is important to understand how, um, as we live our lives, it, it, it's you're kind of balancing on a bleeding edge of faith and doubt. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like what if it's all true? What if it's none of it's true? Right. Yep. And like, yeah, of course, the level the levels of despair um, 
or, or, or doubt um, is very important. But um, right, I found that per- pertinent to my um, ministry as a priest when people would come up to me and they're distressed over the fact that they doubted. Mm. And, you know, again, it depends on the level of doubt that they're having. But a lot of times it's just the fact that, like, sometimes I, I don't feel God. Mm. Or, you know, sometimes, like, I don't know if it's all worth it. It's like, be at peace, right? Keep choosing yeah. the path of faith. Um, but just because you're tempted towards doubt doesn't mean that you're not a, you're an unbeliever now, right? Right, right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. What gets me hyped, though, <laughs> is that this kind of stuff is where, like, you know, somebody is like, ah, this faith talk is like, meh. Like, I can do without it. But it's like, your perception of this couch here is actually based on faith. It's like, you could never truly know that that is in front of you unless if you take the leap of faith that your perception is correct. So like, this is where this conversation bleeds into like perception and the stuff that, you know, Ian McGilchrist and yeah. Peterson are talking about, Raveki, of like faith and this constant struggle and tension between doubt and faith is actually like embedded into the way we perceive the world. Mm. And so like, that is not an aside element of religion. It's core yeah. to who we are. Right. Like we operate on this balance of a relationship with an other constantly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so that scales up to our relationship then with Christ yeah. and God of like, well, yeah, yeah that's, that's point taken, but <laughs> I do feel like there, cause you're, you're, you're expressing really like a Cartesian sense of faith. Um, where it's like, well, all I can know is myself. And then, you know, based off of that, what else can I know? Um, whereas like our senses that, that, um, tell us about reality. Um, the ancients have always believed that that was kind of a given. Like, you don't question your senses, right? And so, in a sense, like, faith is not needed mm. to know this couch. But that's, like, that's one school of thought. And, and so, I don't know which one I agree with. <laughs> um, <laughs> are you saying it's a... Uh, Matt, are you saying it, it could be so uh, automatic and unconscious that you don't really realize that you are making an act of faith that things exist. Yes. But if you were to take a moment and stop, you realize that I'm ta- I'm making an act of faith that this couch exists. Right. Like your it's, your it's brain so, is making that. Right. Yeah, like the mechanism for that leap, that presupposition that that cup exists is a mechanical act of faith. So yeah. or you, so you could say that maybe like I have faith that my senses are telling me yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or right. communicating reality right. we, to me. We act as if that is true. Yeah. And that and that reveals more of reality to itself. When I walk up to the couch and touch it, I am then uh, informed in a different light yeah. that that is in fact there. Right. And we can continue to operate, but it's never me. Yeah. It's always an other that I'm interacting with, and always have to constantly make a leap towards. Right. That's very pheno- phenomenological. Um, yeah, yeah. In that right. sense, uh, that like your experiences and your perception, and it's just feeding you truth yeah and to it's make a that, different type yeah. of knowledge though it's not yeah. like you could never know like the, i'm i'm talking about a type of poetic knowledge yeah. a type of intuition no that's very that's not yeah. scientific that's very important because again and this goes back to that distinction between plato aristotle mm-hmm. um you know uh, thomism right. you know uh, if you want to characterize it like that um you can't just lay out like well uh, it, there's no there's no logical proposition about this couch existing. You have to right. see it and touch it yep. for yourself. Yep. Um, and that's coming at truth through experience. Right. Um, you can get obviously lost in that of like, well, you in order to do science, you have to make presuppositions. 
Yeah, like we can't continue on with an experiment or scientific progress if I don't assume what I'm looking at is real. Of course, yeah. So like there is that, but it's like McGill Chris talks about that about like left brain and right brain. Like the left brain is a good servant but a horrible master. Hmm. So like when we need to do science, we need to start to shrink things down into more finitude objects. Yeah, like this is a real couch. We're not going to get into the weeds of like well perception, but in the context of both, like the both and, it's like it you understand that there is a faith and reason dialogue happening yeah. even in your own mind. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, that's very important. Um, one, one last thing about Benedict that I wanted to bring up. Um, it's kind of been publicized widely that his last words were, Jesus, I love you. Mm. Um, and I, I remember I heard one person, um, I was talking to one person who said like, he's like, you know, despite all of his you know, intense theological study. Um, he came back to that simple mm. uh, act of uh, love and faith in Christ. I'm like, yeah, that's beautiful. But I don't know if it was despite his study. As if that negates mm-hmm. his study. Yeah, um, right. Actually, yeah. the more he knew yes. about Christ and learning, that's yeah. what led him to. Actually, that, that, that statement is all the more profound right. because of his study. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really gets at the core of um, his whole... Um, like that human um, right. understanding of theology and, yep. and the faith um, is that he understood all of these worldviews really well, right. uh, all these philosophical perspectives, um, you know, uh, really expressed his faith in dozens mm-hmm. of works. And yet he's still able to say like, you know, I love you. Um, yeah. Again, that's what, I mean, I'm even talking about it wrong. Not yet. You know, like right. he, that's what, yep. That I love you is based off of that knowledge. I um, feel like Ratzinger, for me, has done that in like reviving cliches. Like mm. God is love. You know, like yeah. I believe in God. Mm. It's like I have faith, you know, whatever. Um, and in the same way that like Peterson has kind of revived certain things, like clean your room. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You could say like, oh, despite all of Peterson's knowledge and wisdom and, and contribution to society, he still just tells you basic clean your room stuff. It's like, no, 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 it's not in spite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's like a fulfillment. It's the culmination of all of that now condensed in something simple. So yeah. it's like when when Ratzinger says that, it's because of all of that knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, one thing I really liked about Ratzinger, um, and maybe this was his strong Augustinian and uh, Bonaventurian um, background, was that theology was never meant to be simply an academic study. Mm. It was it was meant to be ultimately practical. Since it's, uh, I, I don't think people often consider philosophy, or philosophy and theology to be practical. It's you know it's about things that we can't know fully, and it's about uh, vague concepts of heaven and hell and and God. But I think for Ratzinger, it was meant to be both intensely scientific in in a sense, but also a lived devotion. You were supposed to study what you were studying about God mm-hmm. and theology, and then you take that to prayer. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah. In the end, when he said, "You know, Jesus, I love you," it wasn't like you said <laughs> against his learning. Mm-hmm. It was this is actually what I've uh, taken in over years of study. Right. Was a, a more profound love of God. Yeah. By studying theology. Yeah. Exactly. And writing, and writing about theology. Exactly. And and he expresses that idea a little bit in um, Space Salve. Um, there's a section where he's talking about um, the the purpose of the philosopher, um, and he said uh, he said the the philosophers 
job is not just to inform people how to live well, but also how to die well. <laughs> um, and again, going back to this idea of death, you mm-hmm. know, um, as understanding understanding the, the weight of death. Um, but he says, Christ comes and becomes like the ultimate philosopher in that sense. Uh, and it's through his defeat of death um, that we're now able to live well with a hope in eternal life. Yep. Um, and it's, it's that underst- again, like that's the foundation of our faith is that it's uh, that relationship with Christ, not just following him, but having a relationship with him mm-hmm. um, that informs everything we do now. Um, when we can say, Jesus, I love you with that understanding, we overcome death. Right. Essentially. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's how he, he opens up his, his first encyclical, uh, Deus Caritas Est, um, is with the summary, what he calls the summary of Christian life, which is uh, from St. John, we have come to know and believe in the love that God has for us. Uh, and he says that being, being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person, which gives life a new horizon in a decisive direction. Mm, yeah. And again, I, I thought that was such such an important line for myself because it's not, I think people get kind of wrapped up in the religious dogma and that religion is a binding structure and it's, a, it's an institutional structure. But it's actually, for those who are, I think, most convicted about their faith, it's because of an encounter that they've had, something that's changed their life mm-hmm. fundamentally mm-hmm. in the way it's the way it was going. And there's a difference between before this event and after this event. That it's it's not just the <laughs> the catechism, but it's also this this love of Christ. Yeah. Right. That shows you the way, that shows you true humanity, and that should permeate everything that you do. Yeah. Uh, I think Ratzinger talks about it maybe in Spesalve, but the kind of this this bracketing of faith is uh, something private, you know, that you have, well, you know, I'm this is my political views, these right. are my environmental views, these are my economic views. Mm-hmm. And if you ask me about what I believe God is like or what heaven is like, I'll tell you a Christian idea. Right. So well actually it's supposed to be all those things. Right. Yep. Being a Christian is supposed to impact all of those mm-hmm. choices. Um, and not just be about religion. Not to make it a false because I think sometimes make there can be a false dichotomy between following Christ mm-hmm. and religion or right. Christianity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like I but it's yeah. more. I guess it's it's more than just uh, being really into theology. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah no, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. I have a um, a point about something that Ratzinger brought up uh, in talking about God and being like love in excess, and how that kind of mm-hmm. relates to celebrating Christmas, celebrating your wedding. Like it reminded me of a couple of things, but I'm going to save that uh, for the members only episode um so we do the members only episodes once a week now um so if you sign up at basically related.com you can get the additional episode uh you can also ask questions which we'll do q a's uh, when questions come in um but for now we'll see you later